Good morning, everybody. How are you? Fantastic. Hey, this is getting really fun over here. Uh, I'm starting to see it now. We're, you know, as we're we're getting into high school and junior high ministry a little more and more. I've started challenging them to come and hang out and sit right over here, all in this area. And so the first service had a whole bunch of them sitting over here, and there's a whole bunch sitting here now. And it's really good to see you guys. Hi, good morning. So you're gonna see, hey, is that who's that, John? Yeah, John, he's he's 15. Um, Looks good for his age. Uh, he's uh, so you're gonna see them over here a little bit. So this side will get a little rambunctious. This side will be a little a little energetic uh, during worship, and and mostly what you're gonna see over here is you're gonna see a bunch of students who are gonna lead the way in worship, and um, that's a cool thing. And so I want you to know they're all gonna be sitting there, and so um, you know if they're whispering and stuff, well, just like. Stop it. Okay. Um, stop it. So this morning, I'm thrilled to be a part of this family. And um, it's a great thing that Jesus is doing in Austin with churches all over, isn't it? It's really cool to be one of them. Um, I want to dive right into what I've got in me today. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story here. It was about it was about a year ago, a year and a week, really. It was about a year and a week, almost to the day. And I took my little family, my wife, and my kids. I got three kids, Aurora, Ewan, and Reese, five, three, and two. And we loaded up our Camry, our Toyota Camry, with three car seats in the back, squished everybody in it. You know, sometimes you got to use a broom handle and just kind of get... Just squish them in real tight, buckle them all in. We closed the doors. We put a for sale sign in the yard in our house. And we closed the door on a big, fat moving truck. And we started driving from Colorado Springs to Austin, Texas. Yeah. We had no idea what was going to happen when we got here. We weren't sure where we were going to live. We weren't sure how we were going to make money. We weren't sure what was going to happen. A lot of those things are still true today. <laughs> Not really, but seriously. Uh, we, but we knew, we knew that Jesus had called us to go. And so, so we made the decision. We just leapt. We took a step. And um, it wasn't easy to get to that point. We had to wrestle through it and fight a little bit. It actually started for us in, in the end of 2008. At the end of 2008, Maria and I had heard Pastor Ross and Amy talking about what God, they felt like God was stirring in them to do, and they were clarifying that vision and getting ready, and so we, we knew that that was a potential that was out there, and, and there was something that was going on in me that uh, was saying, uh, something is happening, something stirring. And Jesus started to do a work in me, and as they started to talk more and more and into the next year about coming here, that started to resonate with Maria and I. And so we started the prayer and the discussion and talked to spiritual authorities, and, and we started the struggle and the wrestle. And let me tell you, it was a struggle and a wrestle because we, we, we just weren't sure. And so, you know, I, I'm wrestling with calling and what are we supposed to do? And God, I don't know. And I thought I was going to be here forever, but I feel like you're saying go here. My wife, on the other hand, is saying, um, let's see, Texas? I'm not sure. Because frankly, I don't know if you know this, Brent, but Texas, uh, there's no snow. They don't have snow in Texas. And she grew up in Buffalo. 
uh, Buffalo area, so she has lots of snow, and she loves it. And she wanted our kids to grow up in snow. And she's saying, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I like seasons. I like four seasons. Here, I don't know that they have four seasons is what she's telling me. I don't think they have four seasons. They've got like maybe two. It's like really hot and kind of hot. Those are the seasons they have in Texas. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. And so we had those discussions. <laughs> I wouldn't use the word fights, but fights. And, and we uh, went back and forth and praying together and, and wrestling and struggling. And there came the day where, where I had been kind of progressing forward and Maria, she was more like this. And, and the day came, though, where God had been moving on her heart and through the struggle and the fight, and she, she said yes. And, and all of a sudden, she just went, and she surpassed me. And she wakes up that morning, and she says, hey, listen, I think if we don't go to Austin, Texas with Ross and Amy, we're being disobedient. And I said, whoa, hey, hey, hey. Hey, I am not there yet, so you just relax, all right? <laughs> I'm still struggling, I'm praying, we're figuring this out together, right? But we knew that something was going on and we had to say yes. In essence, we knew that we had to surrender. And so we decided, so we made that initial step, packed the family, packed our stuff, and came down to say, Jesus, whatever you want. It wasn't easy, but it was right. And now here we are, in the great state of Texas, living in Austin. I know that many of you have a similar story. In fact, as I look out at some of you, who there's a, there's a few of you who moved down from Colorado, and so I look at you and I see you're like in the exact same boat as I was. <laughs> and there's others of you that I know some of your stories, and I, I know that you're facing struggles and fights and things where you feel like Jesus has called you to surrender, but you're pushing through and trying to find the way to do so. And regardless of whether you're in a position today where you sense that's going on with something that you're supposed to do in some area in your life or some area in your heart, there's no doubt about it, even if that's not you, all of us in this room this morning, we are all called by Jesus to surrender our lives to him, to give him everything that we are and everything that we have. Whether you realize it or not, that is what he's asking us to do. And so this morning, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it. And I want to see if we can look at a passage of Scripture and see if we can find a way to respond to him this morning. We're going to read out of the book of Mark. And uh, let's pray over it real quick as you're turning there. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you. Pray that you would speak through me now, your words and your life and your insight, not my words. Let them be yours. And I pray for everybody in the room in one chapel this morning, that you would speak to them, that you would open up their heart and their ears to hear what you want for each individual, each family, each life that's here this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're about to do in us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. <clears throat> we're right here in the middle. Uh, we're, we're right here in Passion Week. So we're on our way to Easter, and over the past couple weeks we've been talking about leading up to Easter and the Passion Week and last week Ross talked about how Jesus had a passion and has a passion for service by the way that he washed his disciples feet and the way that he serves us and takes care of us 
And this morning, I want to continue that idea as we approach Easter and we're talking about Passion Week. I want us to dig into this idea that Jesus also has a passion for surrender. He has a passion to surrender. He had it himself, and he wants us to have one too. So Mark chapter 14, we're going to verse 32, and we find them after the Last Supper, after they've gone out and they've gone into the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus goes away to pray, and in verse 32 it says, They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away, prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And then it goes on. The crowd comes with clubs and swords and spears. And they come up to arrest Jesus. And Judas kisses him on the cheek. And, and chaos ensues. And this whole scene goes nuts. But then I want you to go down right, right down to verse um, 50. In verse 50, it introduces in verse 51, it introduces this, another character I want you to be aware of. But it says in verse 50, Then everyone deserted him and fled. In 51, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was f following Jesus. And when they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. It's interesting. <laughs> unique little scripture packed away in there. But this is a unique circumstance. But here in Mark 14, I think that there, is, there are three people that we find here. There are three groups. There's Jesus, there's his disciples, and there's this mysterious young man. And in, represented in each of these people, these actual people in Scripture, we find somebody that we can identify with when it comes to what Jesus is asking us to do in terms of surrender. Let's look at our ultimate example first. Of course, it's Jesus. Because in the passage, we see this unique picture of Jesus that we don't always see, right? We see this Jesus who is struggling, who's fighting. He's deeply distressed. He's overwhelmed. He says here in this verse, even unto death. I mean, he is really fighting through what he's supposed to do, what he knows is coming. The Bible even says that he fell to the ground. He's praying for escape. This is not a polite prayer. This is not him saying, well, Father, pray that, uh, I don't know if this is possible, maybe we could do this another way. That'd be swell. I'd like that a lot. Maybe we could do that. 
This isn't the prayer he's praying. The scripture in other gospels, it even talks about how he's, he's sweating, that like drops of blood coming down his face. He is in agony. He is suffering. He's falling. This is not a constrained prayer. This is not polite. This is not a fully controlled prayer. This is all out struggle. You know, he's fully God and he's fully human. And so he's wrestling through this, knowing and not knowing what's going to go on. He knows what's coming, doesn't know exactly what it may feel like or what it may be like, but he knows what's on the way. And he's wrestling through it. And even though he's not praying these nice, quaint little prayers, he's praying the struggling, fighting prayer. At the same time, you can see right away that he's trusting. He has a trust. And you see it clearly because he's still praying to his daddy to his father. He calls him Abba, which means uh, Papa or Daddy, Father. It's more of an intimate term that he's using, saying, Father, Papa, I trust you. And you can see that he's trusting because underneath all of his suffering, he's still resolved to do his Father's will. He is resolved to surrender. As Jesus prays here, he, he meets this dreadful Silence, the silence of heaven. There's no booming voice this time like there was at his baptism. There's no cute little dove coming down to descend upon him. There's no booming voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. At least we don't hear any of it. We don't see any of it. All we see is Jesus fighting and struggling. And really, by all, by all accounts here, no response. Nothing coming back. And it's because the plan is set. It was set before the foundations of the world that he would come and give his life. That he would surrender and die for you and for me. He would give his life on the cross. That was the plan. His father would send him. He would say yes. He would give his life for us. So the plan was set. God had already spoken, and the son would obey. He would surrender. Scholars will speculate about his suffering and all that might be going through his mind, and there's no way for us to really know. But you can imagine what this moment is like, can't you? I mean, you could think that maybe he's thinking about all the sins of the world that are about to be laid on him. He's about to carry all the sins for all time for all of us. That's a heavy weight, friends. Maybe he's thinking about dying, this accursed death on a cross. He knows that's what's coming, but he doesn't know necessarily how painful that would be, and that's frightening. So he's struggling through that. Maybe he's thinking and worried about his flock that he's been teaching and, and growing. Maybe he's thinking, man, uh, it, 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 this work in his humanity, this shows his humanity in his struggle, fully God, fully man, in his humanity, he's saying, well, did, I, did I fail in this? Is this even working? Maybe he's thinking, oh, these guys, these disciples that I chose, can they do this? Are they ill-prepared? Are they ready for this moment yet? I mean, this guy, Peter, that I got going on, he's a total train wreck. You know, the guy's always putting his foot in his mouth and saying ridiculous things and doing ridiculous things. I mean, I just told him the other day that I'm going to build my church on him. But then, you know, I just called him Satan the other day. So I, I don't know what to do with him. Maybe he's wondering, are they, are they ready? Can they do it? Ultimately, we can't say. What we can say is that he was struggling. 
What we can say is that he was praying intensely. And what we can say is that he surrendered freely. He had a passion for surrender. A passion to surrender. Not just a quaint idea. He's passionate about his own surrender for you. (laughs) And passionate about our surrender for him. When I think about surrendering, I like to... I like to talk to junior high and high school students about it in this way. A lot of times I'll reference it when it comes to worship and the way we lift our hands up. And so I'll talk about it in this way that what happens then when somebody comes up behind you and they've got a gun and they stick it in your back and say, hey, give me all your money. What's the first thing you're going to do? Oh, I surrender. I'm done. Put your hands up and surrender because you don't want to lose your life. You want to keep your life. So you're saying, you got it, you're in control, I'm not in control, you do what you need to do, it's not mine, my hands are up, I'm not going to do anything, you win. I think that's the greatest definition of surrendering. I think that surrender is the giving up of oneself to somebody else in order to gain life. We don't always think of it that way, do we? We don't think of it in terms of gaining life. We just think of it in terms of, oh, I've got to give up everything that I love. I've got to give up everything that I want. But this is not the gospel story. We give up ourselves to the control of somebody else so that we can gain life. It's an incredible thing. And Jesus has a passion for it. And in the garden, he never tries to run counter to his father's purpose. He, he might explore the boundaries a little bit. He's asking, can this cup pass for me? Could we do this another way? I know we're going to rescue them. I know I'm going to give my life and take on the burden of their sin so they can live forever. But if there's any other way, let's do it that way because I am scared. I'm struggling. I don't know about this. But he never, he just explores the boundaries. But you can see throughout that he is resolved to surrender. And you see it because right after he prays this prayer, he's saying, but not what I want, what you want. It's not my will, it's your will that should be done here. God, if there's any other way, but not what I want, what you want, immediately. And then he seals it in this moment. When he stands up, when Judas and the crowd approaches and he stands up and he's talking to his disciples, he says, all right, enough, enough, rise, look, here comes my betrayer. Arise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. Now you got to understand, he's not saying this, he's not saying, all right, all right, all right, guys, 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 wake up, enough, enough already, look. Here comes my betrayer. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. Running the opposite direction. No, with determination in his eyes and purpose in his heart, knowing what his father wills, he says, rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And he accepts the surrender. And from there on out, though it's hard, though it's difficult, though it's painful, though it's some of the worst experiences you could ever imagine, he is determined and passionate about his surrender for you. His struggle and this ultimate resolve to surrender, I think it tells us a few things. It tells us a couple things about Jesus. One, I think it tells us that he's not just a, a, a joyful martyr bent on self-destruction, being forced by his father into surrender. 
No, Jesus is the courageous hero. He's the courageous hero who knows what lies ahead and yet chooses to surrender. He knows what's coming and he makes the choice anyway. We also know that he overcame his intense distress with intense prayer and ultimate trust. He overcomes this intensity, this distress with intense prayer and ultimate trust in his father. And we, as we face moments of surrender, we can choose to respond just like him. We can choose to respond in just the same way. Or we can choose another way. We could choose the way the disciples respond. Now, the disciples, you can just see it, can't you? Here's Jesus. I mean, picture Jesus. He's over here. He's at a stone. He's crying out. He's struggling. Drops of blood, sweat, tears, stumbling around, praying to his father. Disciples all crashed out around the trees. <sighs> Sleeping. Now, the disciples were not asked to do the same thing that Jesus was. Not yet, anyway. But they're not in the same position being asked to give their lives as a ransom for many. They're not the ones who are going to die for the forgiveness of sins. Only one can do that. And he did it, by the way. They're not asked the same thing, but they are here in this moment with Jesus. And they, are, they do have the opportunity to follow or to shrink back. They have the opportunity to follow and surrender or to engage or to run away. And what are they doing? They're just laying back sleeping. They missed the moment. They're oblivious to where they really are. They're just kind of ignorant. And they've fallen asleep because they're sleepy. They're tired. They're missing out on what's happening. And the problem with that is, as they sleep, they stop praying. As they sleep, they don't recognize the onset of this trial that's coming. And they're not able to accept it as God's will and something that he's going to work out. As they sleep, they assume perhaps, eh, now we're okay. We've arrived. We're fine. It's going to be all right. We got this. I know he's doing some hard work and some suffering over there, but we got this. We're going to be okay. We can choose sometimes, knowingly or unknowingly, to respond to God's call for us to surrender our lives just like them. To just kind of lay back and say, uh, I don't know, a little oblivious, I'm just going to rest, it's going to turn out fine, he's got this, I know I'm doing my own thing, I'm not necessarily following, I'm not really ready to surrender yet, but I'm going to hang out and catch some rest and I'm sure it'll all turn out fine, it'll be okay, I got this. Or maybe we could respond like this young man, this mysterious young man, who scholars think might be Mark. Might be the guy who actually wrote the book, which I think is really pretty fascinating. I mean, if, I, if it was me, I certainly wouldn't put my name in the book. <laughs> the dude who ran away naked is not the guy you really want to be remembered as. Regardless of who it is, regardless of who it is, this young man, he responds in such a way as to say, no, I, I don't want any part of this. I got to get out of here. I'm taking off. And so even though somebody lays hold of him, somebody tries to grab him and pull him in, he says no, and he fights, and he gets away and gets out of his garment, leaving everything, and in embarrassment, runs off into the night. Some of us have chosen, in God's call to surrender, to respond in that way. 
Today, I think the question for us is, we've all been called to surrender. What is your response? Because you can easily find yourself probably in one of those three. And the idea of actual surrender, there's no doubt about it. It's unsettling, isn't it? I mean, think about actual surrender. Yeah, I know. We're, we're, We're all here this morning saying, no, no, I get it. Surrendering, it's good. Very spiritual, powerful, good. That's right. It's good. Beach to it. Uh, it's a good thing. I get it. I can do it. But I'm not sure if we always live that way. It's unsettling. It's, it's frightening. You, you know what it means? It means I lose control. And that's not something we're always willing to do. Because I know. I've lived that way myself. I'm sure you have too. I don't lose control. Brent, I don't know if you understand this. I'm the type of man that does not lose control. I am fully in control. I'm in control of myself. I'm in control of my career. I am in control of my wife. (laughs) Okay. I, I am in control of my children. Okay. (laughs) I'm in control. I got this. Now, everybody else around you knows none of that's true. It's unfortunate that you think that because everybody else sees what really is going on. But I'm the guy who doesn't lose control. And it's an issue here because, listen, surrender is complete. Surrender is total. Surrender is not partial. Surrender is not an add-on to your already satisfied life. Surrender is absolute. You don't just get to say, yeah, I've got a good life. I've got everything going for me. I like my career. I like my job. I like my car. I like my house. I like my family. I like my wife. I like my kids. I like everything that's going on here. Oh, and Jesus, yes, I like him too. He's great. Oh, he's fantastic. Yeah, I've totally surrendered my life to him. It's wonderful. He's just kind of this addition. He's the nice cherry on top of my life Sunday. I've just kind of decided to add him in. And things are great. That is not why Jesus came to the earth for us. That is not why he surrendered on the cross. That is not what he came to do. He came for every part of you. He came for everything. He came for takeover. He came for control. He came to take everything that you've got and use it all for his purpose and use it all for his glory. And though it may be challenging, he's got everything that you need to do it. But that's why he came. But we'd say, yeah, you know, listen, I get it. I do get it. I believe in him. I believe in him. I think it's great. But that's the problem, isn't it? I think often we stop at belief and we don't progress into surrender and obedience. We come up to the point of belief and we say, yes, I'm a Christian because I believe. But we don't take the actual step to really becoming a disciple of Jesus through our surrender and our obedience to him in every area. Don't get me wrong, belief is good. Acts 16.31 says it real plain. If you read NIV, it says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's good. 
But can I tell you something? If believing was enough, if believing was all that it took, then the devil and the enemy, the demons, they could potentially be fantastic Christians. Because James 2.19 says, it says, oh, you believe in one God? Oh, that's good. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. They at least have enough common sense to know how great he is, how powerful he is, how grand and vast and magnificent he is. They understand the reality of Jesus where sometimes we just miss it. Maybe we're sleeping. A little oblivious. In another translation in the message, the, this modern day paraphrase, Acts 16, 31, same verse. I like the way it says it. It says, put your entire trust in the master, Jesus. Put your entire trust in the master, Jesus. See, everybody, the message of the New Testament. It's not just Jesus as Lord. Sorry, Jesus as Savior. Jesus as Savior, it appears in the New Testament. It appears about 37 times. It's not just Jesus as Savior. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel, the message of the New Testament is, in fact, Jesus is Lord, which shows up 7,736 times. I think the Holy Spirit is trying to articulate something to us. He is Savior, but his desire is to be Lord over every area. But that is a struggle. It's hard. It's not easy. And still, we use these passive words to invite people to Jesus or to describe our relationship to him and how it works. We talk about words like, uh, yeah, come and accept Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Come and receive Jesus and everything will be fantastic. It'll be all puppy dogs and rainbows for the rest of your life if you'll just come and receive him. Just accept him. It's as if we think Jesus was walking around saying, hey, hey, would you guys accept me? Please accept me. I want to be accepted. I want you to, I mean, no offense, no offense. You guys know I talk to you about this all the time. Junior high is hard, right? Junior high can be really challenging. It's as if we think Jesus is a junior high student struggling through low self-esteem. Walking around the lake, looking at the fishermen. Hey, guys. What are you eating? You want to trade? That looks pretty good. No, you know, okay, uh, yeah, okay, 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 all right. I'll try the tax collectors. Tax collector, hey, what you doing? You got money? I like money. It's the root of all evil. Love of money is root, but you know, I'm still. What you doing? You want to accept me? It's not what Jesus was doing. Jesus doesn't have low self-esteem. <laughs> he created everything. He created the entire universe. He created all that is. And he can hold it all in the span of his hand. He doesn't need us. 
He desires us. He wants us. He can do whatever he wants to do. He can accomplish whatever he wants to accomplish. But he wants to love you and accept you and use you to get the job done. But in order to do it, he's asking us to surrender. The truth is, is that Jesus didn't ask people to accept him. He commanded them to follow him. That's what he did. He walked around. He said to the fishermen, hey, 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 follow me. And the fishermen went, looking back at their friends, I don't know. And they followed. He walked by a tax collector and said, hey, follow me. Okay. He wasn't just saying, hey, would you you accept me? He said, come and follow me. Give up everything. Follow me. I've got what you need if you'll just follow me. And then, of course, he proved it, which we'll get to in a second. Luke chapter 29, sorry, Luke uh, ver- chapter 9, verse 23. If you get your Bibles, turn there really quick. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It says, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And if you'll let me, I want to read it one more time out of the Message Bible because it, it just adds another dynamic to it where he says, same passage, then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Oof. That's hard. Because we think that surrender shouldn't be that. Once we surrender, shouldn't it all be over? Totally free and clear? No. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to finding yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? If any of you is embarrassed with me and the way I'm leading you, Know the Son of Man will be far more embarrassed with you when he arrives in all his splendor in company with the Father and the holy angels. This isn't, you realize, pie in the sky by and by. He's saying, you realize this is real. This is actual. This is happening. He says, some, of you, some who have taken their stand right here are going to see it happen. See with their own eyes the kingdom of God. You realize what he's saying? He's saying, okay, look. Let me lead. Deny yourself. I'm in charge. Take up your cross. And you got to hear it through their ears. Because in our culture, in our society today, you hear take up your cross, you hear about crosses, you're thinking about guys wearing little gold crosses on their necks and how quaint and nice that is. But to the original hearers, they're hearing him say, listen, take up your cross, your device of torture and destruction, this thing that brings death, pick that up and carry that with you everywhere that you go. 
Carry this device of torture and death everywhere that you go, denying yourself every single day. This might be a little touchy and a little sensitive, but today we might say, since we don't have crosses like that, today we might say something like, look, just take up your electric chair and follow me. Just sit in it confidently every day. And as you're tempted, as you face trials and tribulations and struggles and fights, just make the determination, I surrender. Push the button. Die to it. Sorry, it's a little gruesome, I know. But this is what he's saying. Take up your instrument of torture and death and follow me. And you can have life. But I think what happens for us is we end up not realizing the power that's in that cross. Not this one. But there's only one true cross and Jesus died on it. This is a representation of it. And it's heavy and it's wooden and it's strong. And he was nailed to it and he bled on it and he gave his life. His body was broken so he could be healed. His blood was shed so he could be free and forgiven. And he died once and for all for all mankind on that cross. But we, because we decide, I don't want to surrender everything. I'll surrender part, but I'm not ready to surrender everything. We might even give it lip service. We might come to church and say, oh, yes, I give everything. Jesus, I surrender my whole life to you, except for that inappropriate relationship that I'm kind of cultivating right now. I'm just, I'm just going to hold on to this. Or this, this little thing that I, I got going on at work, where I'm, just, I just, I'm just cheating a little bit. I'm, just, I'm skimming a little bit off the top because I, I just got to make ends meet right now in my family. All right? It's a good cause, man. I just, I just, I'm just cheating a little bit, just here and there, just skimming a little off the top so I can take care of business. I got to take care of my family, right? And these little decisions where we say we surrender, but we don't. We ignore the true power of the cross of Christ that can bring death to us and ultimately resurrection to us. And we create a cross that really means nothing, that holds no power, that holds nothing to us. And as we say, God, I surrender, except for this little piece of me. This is what I think, in essence, we're doing. Yeah, I can manage that a little bit better now. Because this is a little hard to carry around. It's kind of big. It's, it's a little cumbersome. It's a little intrusive. I'm not exactly sure what to do with it. So yeah, Jesus, I surrender everything, except for the way that I'm treating my wife right now. I'll get through that someday. It's going to be okay. Yeah, I can carry that around a little bit better. That feels good. Okay, I got it. Yeah, God, I surrender my whole life to you. I, I'm going to give you everything that I've got. Okay, just take all of me. Take all of me. Take all of me. Except for that thing that I'm doing at work right now and kind of being a jerk to my boss and skimming a little off the top. Just, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop that next month, I promise. And we deny the cross of all of its power. Well, I can manage it now. I can carry that around a lot easier. If I get that down enough, I could put that in my back pocket and just carry it around with me everywhere I go. Problem is, it has no power. No power. The cross of Jesus, the one true cross that he died on, his sacrifice, it provides power for living. 
power for surrendering, power for becoming who we're supposed to become. The good news is, yes, he's called you to surrender, and yes, that's hard, and yes, that's a struggle, but he's given you everything that you need to be able to do it. Frankly, I think that one of the, one of the hardest things that we do is we get stuck in the middle. We don't, we don't go all the way. We, we're, we're trying to figure out, we're, we're creating our own cross, or, or maybe we're just undecided, and we're back and forth saying, I, I want to surrender, but I, I just don't know if I can. I, I want to give my whole life, but I, I don't know if I can trust him enough to give everything. Is he really going to be there for me? Is he really going to give me all that I need? I don't know, and so we end up in limbo, just back and forth, never making the call to just say, yes, Jesus, I surrender. Here I come. And so it's right there in that moment that is so difficult, so challenging. As I was studying for this, I came across this quote, theologian saying, once suffering is completely accepted, it ceases in a sense to be suffering. I think it's kind of the same way it's, it's, as we're trying to surrender. Once you surrender, you completely surrender in a sense, only in a sense, but in a sense, it ceases to be such suffering. It's the time of waiting that can do us in. But once you surrender, then all of a sudden you've got faith. You've got his grace. You've got his help. But there's one thing that you have to remember and you have to realize this morning is that just because you surrender doesn't mean that all of life turns out great. Because what happened with Jesus when he surrendered? When Jesus surrendered, it resulted in betrayal, denial from his friends, and death. But right after that, three days later, it resulted in resurrection power and life. That was the end result. So today you say, yes, I surrender. God, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give you everything. I surrender my whole life. I lay everything down, even those little things that I've been holding on to, even the habits, the inklings, the things that I've been doing. God, I lay it all down. Take all of me. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fight through. I'm going to push through. I'm going to do this. You've got to help me. As you do that, and he takes that life, and he helps you, you got to understand, it doesn't mean that everything's going to feel great, be great, turn out great. You may still face betrayal. You may still face denial. You will still face struggle. You're guaranteed it. But you're also guaranteed the grace to handle it. And you're guaranteed, ultimately, the resurrection life to live forever with Jesus. It's worth it. It's worth it. He's asking us to surrender. Once you surrender, once you say, I'm not in control anymore, I give up control, he says, great. Now, you live by faith. Once you've risked it, once you've given it, you've risked everything, you've taken the step out, just like we did, packing up the car with kids, driving down here, not sure what's going to happen moment to moment. It was hard, it was scary, it still is from time to time. And there's, much, there's things in this room today that you're facing that are much bigger than that. But once we made that decision, it was hard, but we lived by faith. And so we pressed through, and we were able to do it. And guess what? I'm still here. 
And one day, one day, I'm going to have resurrection power. It's already in me, but I'm going to live forever with Jesus in eternity. It's a great thing. Jesus surrendered to death on a cross so that he could give life to all of us, and he's asking you to do the same thing. You know, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the actor, the actor who's, who's sitting nervously and anxiously uh, backstage waiting to go out on Broadway for the first time. He's sitting there, and his moment is coming. He knows his cue is about to be there, and his stomach is turning, and this is the moment where he's going to step out, and it's, he's frightened and scared and sweating just a little bit. And then the cue comes, the moment comes. He decides, here we go. He takes the first step. He walks out onto that stage, and he begins that play. And though he might have that anxiety, that fear, that, that stuff still in him, he knows this is what I'm supposed to do. And he's engaged in that activity. Or it's like the paratrooper, the guy who, who's going up in the airplane. And he's going up, 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 and up, and up, just freaking out. He's getting up so high. And he's standing there at the doorway. And the door opens. And he looks down and sees the earth below. And he sees everything passing by. And he knows he's supposed to jump out. I don't want to do that. 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 And then the moment comes, the green light hits, and he takes the step out. He surrenders to it. He jumps out, and he's in free fall. Well, guess what? It's still scary. <laughs> it's still scary, but it's exhilarating because he knows he's doing what he should be doing. I think this is the way this life works. It's scary. It's a struggle. It's a fight. But you take the step, and you surrender. And you know immediately, this is the life I'm supposed to be living. And it's still scary. The ground's still coming up at you. <laughs> it's scary. But you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I want to read one more quick passage of scripture from the Message Bible. And then I want us to pray. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 in the message, it says, knowing the correct password, saying master, master, for instance, isn't going to get you anywhere with me. What is required is serious obedience, doing what my father wills. I can see it now at the final judgment, thousands strutting up to me and saying, Master, we preached the message. We bashed the demons. Our God-sponsored projects had everyone talking. And do you know what I'm going to say? You missed the boat. All you did was use me to make yourselves important. You don't impress me one bit. You're out of here. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard teaching like this. Would you close your eyes with me?
Jesus has a passion. A passion for surrender. And as we remember this passion week leading up to Easter, it will become increasingly more clear how much he's given for every one of us. And it's not because he has this desire, this design to lord it over us. You do understand that he surrendered his life ultimately because he loves you. He's in love with you. And he wants you to surrender your life back to him because he knows that he has the best plan for your life. It's not that he's just the iron-fisted ruler who wants to be in charge over everyone. That's not his design, his ultimate goal. Yes, he did come for takeover, but his takeover results in resurrection power and life for you. And in the meantime, while you're here on this earth, he wants to use you to do great things, to advance the kingdom and let your family know about him and let your friends know about him. All these things are encompassed in surrendering. And today I think the call to all of us is to give our lives and surrender to him because of all of this. After the first service, a gentleman came up to me and said, you know, I think I came up with a new word. He said, it's surrendered-ing. Surrendered-ing. And I thought that was a great idea. Or I've surrendered. I made my decision. But it's the same decision that I keep making. Day after day after day. I am surrendering. <laughs> and this morning, the sense that I've had in my heart this week and, and right now is that he's asking you if you will. And he's asking, how will you respond? Because you can respond like the disciples and be oblivious and think, now it's going to turn out okay. I'm sure he's doing his thing. I'm doing mine. It'll be all right. I got this. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm sure it'll all turn out one day. It doesn't just turn out. Not without him. Or you can respond like the young man. Fight and run away. Just get away. I don't want to surrender. I want to live my life. But I can tell you from my own experience and the experience of other people that I know well, that way never turns out well. It always ends in disaster and tragedy, sadness. Or we can choose to respond like Jesus. And even though it's a struggle, we can fight through that struggle and we can pray for help and we can ask his grace to fill us and we can have faith that he's going to meet us and he's going to do that for us. He's going to do us good and not harm.
You can struggle, but be resolved to surrender this morning. So would you take stock of your own life? And this morning, would you make a decision? Make a decision. How will you respond? Because he's calling. He's calling. He's asking. He's saying, come follow me. Come follow me. Surrender it all, every bit. He already knows those parts that you're holding back. He knows the, the part of your life that's still hidden from him. He knows the parts you haven't surrendered. He wants you. So let's choose. This morning, if you would say, I want to surrender to Jesus in a significant way. Or maybe you'd say, listen, if all this is true, I don't even know Jesus. I've never met him. I don't know him. But you seem to be saying that he gave his life for me, that I had a, I had a weight of sin that he took on so I don't have to pay a penalty. That's all true. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him wouldn't have to die but could have everlasting life. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. But if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins. Maybe today you want to make that decision, surrender the life that you've been living for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time. If you're in any one of those categories and you just want to say, I must surrender my life totally and completely today, would you pray for me? Just lift your hand up high in the air. Yeah, there we go. Full surrender. Yep, full surrender. Yeah, holding nothing back. Full surrender. In fact, would you just, with everyone's eyes closed, would you just hold those hands up? Just hold them up. Just hold them up as your, your sign, your symbol. You saying, I do surrender. There's more. I think there's more. Just lift your hand up. If it's a struggle for you, it's okay. It's okay to struggle and fight. Just make the determination to surrender. Jesus, you surrendered. And put those hands down. If you would, would you quietly and reverently just stand up with me? And I want us to pray. I want us to all pray together. And I want... Even if you'd say, I feel like I'm in a place of surrender. Can we just sign up again? Can we just say again, I surrender my life to you. So everybody all across this room, one chapel family, let's pray this prayer. Re repeat it after me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, everybody. Let's say it strong and mean it from our gut. Dear Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to you. I surrender to your will. I surrender to your way. I surrender to your life. I don't want to have control. I don't want to make all my own decisions. I want your will to be done in my life today, tomorrow, next week, this year, for the rest of my days. I give my life in complete surrender. Every part take me take all of me use me for your glory 
Let your cross work in my life. Let your body and blood work in my life. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my rebellion. Take full control. I give it freely. I surrender. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. In Jesus' name. And everybody said,